saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, December the 15th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true word of God this Advent season to see Christ who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today from the Sermon on the Mount. We begin this portion, which is something that I've heard people say, this is the doorway to the Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are something that if you don't understand this, you won't understand the rest. And it says words like those who are poor in spirit, who mourn the meek, and they are all blessed. What does this mean for us? We'll find out today as we pray to the Lord, O Holy Spirit, enter in so that we will open our eyes, our ears, and hearts to understand everything in Christ. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Matthew Heisey, Director, Executive Director of Lutheran Heritage Foundation in Macomb, Michigan. Dr. Heisey, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Brady. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, it's been it's been a real joy. I was looking the last time we had you was February. And uh, so it's really I know I know you're a busy guy. You do a lot of teaching and everything else. And during this Advent, I especially give thanks that you're with us today. So thank you for being with us oh, this morning. My, my pleasure. So, Dr. Heise, usually I give thanks uh, to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for their support. But today I thank you for you and all the wonderful folks who work at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of KFUO and especially of Thy Strong Word. So, Dr. Heise, can you begin just telling us what's going on at uh, Lutheran Heritage Foundation? Sure. Thank you, Brady. A actually, uh, we, we have an, an incredible staff here. It's not a large staff, uh, but uh, we work with uh, translators and uh, pastors around the world. Um, thankfully, now uh, LHF is at its 29th birthday. Uh, we were founded on November 10th, 1992. Uh, by Reverend Robert Ron on Martin Luther's birthday, and uh, with the initial task of, of trying to restore the Lutheran witness to Russia, because a year before, of course, the communist uh, government had fallen and uh, Russia was free for the first time in 70-plus years. Well, uh, by God's grace, we didn't stop there, and it wasn't our choice. It was just the spirit opening up so many other doors and avenues and so today we work in 90 countries and 132 languages and uh, uh, more recently we've had uh, a couple of things that I guess I can highlight uh, in particular uh, we put out a Dari catechism and book of prayer I want to say probably close to 15 years ago working with uh, a pastor from the Finnish Mission Diocese which is the newest LCMS partner church um, yeah, right. broke away from the uh, State Lutheran Church of Finland. And uh, he, he lived many years in Afghanistan. And so with an Afghan uh, Christian, they put together this book, Questions That Muslims Would Ask. And so we are, are now actually having to have him send some copies back to the States because of uh, the recent difficulties in Afghanistan. We have so many more refugees here. And, and so we've had opportunities to share this book uh, with uh, children and people in Virginia and many places around the country where we have the opportunity. Uh, and I, I stress where we have the opportunity because this is not like the opportunities we had for Spanish refugees, uh, Spanish speaking refugees to get them children's Bible story books, etc. Uh, they were seen as quote unquote Christian, but 
Afghans are perceived by the government as, as Muslim, and the Islamic Council of America has made pretty clear they want them only receiving uh, books related to uh, Islam. So uh, we haven't had the opportunity to get into some, but we do have uh, several members of our church who have opportunities to reach out to Afghan refugees. And so uh, we're making that book available again to them, as well as a child's uh, garden Bible stories in Farsi, uh, because Farsi is very close. That's the language of Iran is very close to Dari, uh, which is the language of what we might call Western Afghanistan. So there are similarities enough there that children could actually read a Farsi uh, child's guard to Bible story. So we have that opportunity right now. Well, I mean, and yeah, would keep you going, keep going, please. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, and it, one more thing I put down here was the Spanish hymnal. And this is please. something that, uh, I came to LHF seven years ago, uh, from the mission field in Russia. And, uh, uh, met with uh, Pastor Ted Cray, who is our regional director for Latin America. And uh, this hymnal had been something they'd been working on. And uh, so finally it's come to fruition. And it is now at the printers of all places in Thailand because we get a, a great opportunity and good paper and uh, fairly inexpensive um, to print a hymnal that's going to be about a thousand pages. So we're hoping now uh, in January, early January, that's going to be shipped uh, to Latin America and will be distributed throughout Latin, Central America, the Caribbean, and uh, certainly also up here in the United States for LCMS congregations that are working in Hispanic ministry. Thank you, Dr. Heisey, for highlighting all of that, because all we can say at the end of it is thanks be to God for what he... Yeah gives Absolutely. us opportunities. Like you said, um, where we have the opportunity is is where, and, and Lord opens, it's obvious. I mean, you've, you've, you have highlighted this before and you're highlighting it now that God does give those opportunities. Let's not act like, well, that he isn't reigning <laughs> on high, which is a theme in Matthew as well. And so oh, faith comes by hearing faith, and hearing Absolutely. the word of Christ. And that's exactly what you're doing. So if you want to find out more about their great work, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. And I'm going to I'm going to do this too, pastor. Just, you know, how are you? Let's, how was how Dr. Heisey and his family? Give us some highlights there as well. Oh, uh, we're we're doing fine. My wife is a, a immigrant from the Ukraine. So actually, uh, uh the COVID shutdowns have been kind of beneficial because I'm not traveling around the world and uh it helps her as she adjusts to the English language and adjusts to uh, the United States itself. So uh, uh, we're doing quite well. I'm able to bring her on, on some of my visits here in the United States. And, uh, and so in that sense, we're, we're doing great. Wonderful. And that's a uh, one one. Uh, if you're in Minnesota, let me know. Let's let's get together at uh, I, any 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 time to be able to get together with people I have on the air is such a blessing to me and to the church at, at, at large. But secondly, well, it's a good reminder yeah. for prayer um, that when someone comes like, for example, I've been overseas before. And when you're trying to figure out what people are saying, going through that, you're exhausted trying to learn the language and trying to figure out how to live in this foreign land. 
And so it's a good reminder for us to pray for those, like you mentioned, your, your bride, um, that are transitioning to a new culture, because it is quite challenging. So a reminder to our listeners to pray as people transition, refugee or not. It is, it is yeah. a difficult one, so we, we lift them up in prayer. And on that note, Dr. Heise, can you, um, as we look at Matthew 5, which is just a wonderful text for us to study, as you've mentioned, how the Lord is, blesses us, that we speak about what does it mean to be blessed in the Lord? So can you begin our time in prayer? Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to see your word, to, to read your word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us, especially in this season of Advent, a season of hope and anticipation. This is so much what we read in, in your words in Matthew 5. And so we pray that you would guide us and lead us and open us up to insights that come from the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder to your listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text today from Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Dr. Heise, as we, look, as we begin the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most prominently known parts of all Scripture, whether they're Christian or not, many people will um, highlight some portion of this, even if they don't know much of the Bible, they will quote it in some form many times. But the Beatitudes, uh, Dr. Gibbs spoke about this, I've heard it before too, that this is the doorway to the Sermon on the Mount, in some ways a doorway to much of the Gospel of Matthew. So as it's a doorway, where do you want to begin with this doorway? Well, uh, and I, I, of course, have been reading from uh, Dr. Gibbs, one of my professors, uh, reading reading his notes on this, too, because he, he of course, has uh, so much wisdom and insight to add to it. Um, I, I kind of look at just the whole concept, and I, I like the fact that you began with the understanding that people take bits and portions. When you talk about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, um, there is some familiarity when we think of our our increasingly non-Christian world and country. Um, it's interesting that there are many who, who do know some of these phrases. They know blessed are the meek. They know blessed are the poor in spirit. And they kind of bring their own interpretation to it, um, not from a biblical perspective, but from a worldly perspective. And so while we listen to them with open ears, we know that this is based on solid scripture. And so I think it's important to kind of get to the heart of what Jesus is trying to tell us in the in the Beatitudes. So I kind of begin with the whole concept of Beatitudes. It comes from the Latin plural uh, uh, beate, which is wealthy or blessed. And uh, we first hear it in the Great English Bible of 1539, which Henry VIII commissioned. And so it kind of comes into our own language here. Uh, and so we've been kind of using this phrase, Sermon on the Mount, apparently Augustine used it at one time, but it seems like it's a post-Reformation phrase that's often used. And so as we kind of talk about the whole concept of the Sermon on the Mount, here's where we really get uh, Jesus' teaching beginning. And so I think a few things that Dr. Gibbs cites, and I think from our own insights, is that we really have to understand how, what Jesus is doing here. Uh, he seems clearly to be addressing the disciples. You know, he, he brings, it, in fact, it literally says, well, look at that. He, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. 
saying. Mm. So it's probably good to see it in this perspective where he's speaking to the disciples, but we have the people behind him. And I also was blessed to be a, a student of Lewis Brighton, who always talked about, you know, that primary audience, but also remember sometimes what Jesus is saying is, is to be heard by others uh, in the periphery or in the audience as well. And so there is that going on. And I think an essential point that Dr. Gibbs makes is Jesus speaks as, and I emphasize this, one with authority. Uh, so when we come to the end of the Sermon of the Mount, in, uh, at the end of chapter 7, you know, the, the crowds are, are astonished because he, his teaching is not just, I'm another one of uh, your scribes or Pharisees. I, I, am, I am one teaching with the authority of God. And uh, it's also an authority, uh, not for the rich or wealthy, but for the needy, for the lesser ones in society. And, and so it's kind of important to kind of maybe make those points initially. And that, and that is so, is so important. Uh, like you said, it can be so misunderstood, all of this. Like poor in spirit could be used as a, a social justice warrior type of situation where I mean, the more I read from other people, including Dr. Gibbs, the more you're like, whoa, this is this is not just like trying to fight for the injustice in the world, which is obviously there, part of the mercy that mm -hmm. we have. But it really lays out the whole framework of the whole book. Like if we can define who the poor in spirit are, then we're better. Then we're able to understand the whole gospel of Matthew. But if you misinterpret that, then you're, you're going to understand the whole thing differently, especially Sermon on the Mount. So um, thank, thank you for laying that out. His disciples are listening. Clearly other people were listening. Um, and, and now we look at this with the right lenses. So anything else you want to highlight so that we are starting off? Well, right I, I think, too, uh, you, you brought up that great point about the social justice uh, movement. Um, and uh, I, I think another thing to stress is that this is not an ethics lesson because some churches will use this as a you should do, you should do you should do. When Luther addresses the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the impossibility of fulfilling it. But he does say it's a type of standard, a standard for Christians. And uh, I think I like Dr. Gibbs' uh, concept here that it's an, it should be a description of our current condition, of where we are as believers. And, and when we recognize that we are sinners, that we are lost without Christ, then that poor in spirit becomes a little bit more, I think, uh, understandable. Amen. So I'm ready to dig into this. Are you ready, Dr. Heisey? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to start with verse 25, because yesterday, technically, we stopped at verse 24, um, just mm -hmm. to give a little more context. Okay. And then I'll read through verse 3. Verse 25, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 25. The great crowds followed Jesus from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and, far, far, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's just get down to what we just said. Who are the poor yeah, in spirit, Dr. Heisen? Yeah, Who are the poor in spirit? I, I, I would say the poor in spirit are those Christian believers who understand who they are. They understand that they are poor, miserable sinners, and they are lost without a Savior. 
And, and once you understand that, then we'll, we'll talk about some of the things that follow, the mourning that might follow from that recognition of where you are, because one can't quite understand the gospel uh, until he or she understands the law and how the law hits us and, and just tears us down. And, and if we really understand the law perfectly and understand that we cannot keep it, uh, neither a jot or tittle of the law, then we, we, we most likely are going to be very poor in spirit. And, uh, and I think, too, of Psalm 51, where a poor and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Uh, a person like David who comes to the recognition of his sin and the rest of us for recognizing who we are. Once we do that, then we're ready to hear God's comfort and blessing. We're ready to hear his gospel message, the reign of heaven. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is yours when you are poor in spirit because you recognize that without a Savior, Jesus Christ, you literally are lost. You are nothing. So that condition from that follows the result of recognizing our condition. And that's and, not what the world says. I mean, the world says, no. blessed are the rich, blessed uh, in a materialistic society, which we see all around us with commercials at this time. That's poor in spirit isn't exactly what everybody's asking uh, for at Christmas. Well, and then you'll see, to kind of jump on that, you'll see these commercials where the perfect Christmas is that the, the husband and wife both get a new Volkswagen. Um, and it's kind of like, oh my gosh, this is how you know you're blessed. And there's other type of uh, messages that we will receive all throughout. And 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 you do this, you do this, and oh my gosh, I mean, talk about a law-driven um, season uh, of Christmas. I mean, that we have culturally. And here, the the number one person, the highest ranking individual, is that who is poor in spirit which is very striking when you read that. And then as you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount or hear the Sermon on the Mount, it really opens up understanding of, wait, he's speaking about me being poor in spirit because as you said about Luther as well. So, and you, I, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not really even just uh, what we in our own society. I, I mean, I recall driving outside of Nairobi and uh, in Kenya and you see a lot of these large, signs for gospel churches where they talk about uh, the prosperity gospel and the richness in the message. And, and all around you, you see poverty. Uh, you see people selling pots and pans in these uh, shacks alongside the road. And, you know, here is a guy with a nice big ring, a very nice suit and tie. His wife is dressed to the nines. And, you know, this is kind of the image of what Christianity is supposed to be. And so I, I would be curious how they would define poor in spirit. Maybe it's uh, something that I once read in the Gospel According to Peanuts, a wonderful little book I got when I was a, uh, in an LCMS school in second grade. And I think it was Lucy who said she wanted to be rich but humble. Ah, uh, yeah, that is very much so. Let I think we rich, all have that. Let desire. me be rich and, and humble also. Well, you know, it's kind of hard. Those those two are contrasting conditions, I think. So, uh, you Absolutely. know, the poor in spirit is is, is really talking about our, our sinful state and, and humility that we need to know. And uh, so I think uh, it's important for us to, you know, as we kind of unpack Scripture, you know, we go into Revelations and we see how uh, Smyrna is poor yet rich. That's, mm. that's an important thing to do. It's poor in spirit, but it is rich. It is wealthy, not according to the world, but according to, um, to what God says in his word. 
Now, to take a to jump on that a little bit and to see that theme play out a little bit in Matthew, actually not a little bit, a lot, is first of all, you go through the genealogy and uh, yes, he highlights the kings, but guess what? All those kings were not very good kings. And so the lineage of Jesus definitely does not show, hey, these kings are doing everything right. It shows a prostitute. It shows others that were um, outside of the kingdom, like Ruth, the Moabite. You also see mm -hmm. uh, Joseph and you see the Magi, people that you would think um, are, you know, are, are faithful people, but they needed intervention. Joseph needed instruction to not divorce his wife. The, the Magi needed instruction on where to go by the star. All of this um, and goes into the rest of the, the flight to Egypt, um, uh, the return to Nazareth. All of this, they needed God to instruct them on exactly where to go. And that shows that, okay, they're, they're poor in spirit too. And then guess what? So are you because you need divine intervention outside of yourself in order to be made, given the kingdom of heaven. So I, I just see that theme really play out. And then if Joseph needs it, the Magi need it, guess what? So do I. Any, any we, other thoughts we, you have? We all do. I, I love the fact that I did get to know uh, the late uh, Dr. Kenneth Corby, uh, who's a famous uh, professor at Fort Wayne. And uh, I, I met him in the 90s when he was teaching in Moscow for uh, some of our uh, seminars that were just starting. Uh, people who were trying to get Lutheran theology. And one of the things he really stressed, uh, a very down-to-earth kind of guy, he just he really stressed that sin is not going to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. Just rejection of the blood of the Lamb. That's what's going to mm -hmm. keep you out. Because guess what? Uh, line up with the sinners here. <laughs> that's what right. we all are. And what I love about verse 3 as well, and, th and that's great. I, I, I've read a number of Kenneth Corby's uh, um, stuff. It's just, it's just pure gold, like you just mentioned. And, and the, the kingdom of heaven is theirs now. The, the kingdom is a very strong theme in Matthew. And when he talks about this, you may be poor in spirit, which you are, but that kingdom is there now. And we hear this in Isaiah 61 about the servant, how he will serve the poor and the meek and everybody. And that what Jesus stands up and what he is saying is that this servant from Isaiah 61, that is happening now. You are poor in spirit. The kingdom is yours now. And that's so important for us as we think about the kingdom now, not just we're waiting for heaven, but Christ is reigning now. Any thoughts on that, Pastor? Yeah, I, I think you, you've kind of really perfectly laid out the already now, but not yet that we see in all these promises in the Beatitudes. Yeah, it's for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not will be the kingdom of heaven. So I mean, to understand, and, and this is uh, some of the things I think we, as we, we kind of go through this, we have to uh, recognize, because I know in our world we have a lot of people who will say things like, uh, well, uh, you know, this following Christ right now, you people are, are the most to be pitied. And, and mm. for us, that poverty of spirit is, is not something that we have to hold as a negative. It's just a reality. Uh, by God's grace, the Spirit has worked in our hearts to recognize that, and others don't recognize that. So the fact that they don't recognize that, and, and you may be poor in spirit, you may be poor in, in wealth, you may be poor in, in many ways, but that kingdom of heaven, that peace that, that comes uh, beyond all human understanding is, is something that I think they can't recognize because the rich person is is possessed by goods i would say you know they're the goods possess them it's not that they possess the goods 
So they are constantly grasping for more and more. So there's no real peace there. But for us, we know that this kingdom of heaven, we know that this is the future, and that really impacts us here and now. I'm into that. And so you mentioned this prior. We, we've hit the porn spirit, and, and okay, that's in case you, our listeners, are wondering, in case I'm wondering, I'm the porn spirit, as you said in Confession and Absolution, you know, I, a poor, miserable sinner, and I need divine intervention to understand any of this. This is a condition of who I am. Then we get to verse four, and there's kind of a result of this condition mm-hmm. that 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 happens to us, I think is, is the best way to say it. And so yeah. I'm ready to go to verse four. Are you ready? Good. Go for it. All right. Verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, so the blessing continues. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is Jesus saying here? Well, <laughs> that's a difficult thing for me to say. What is Jesus saying exactly? I can kind of give some, <laughs> some thoughts that what, what I know is going on here. Um, okay. Certainly, the sinful state of the world, if you know your own condition, that you are fallen, you recognize that the world itself is, is also in that same condition. And so it, it, it's something we mourn because we see it all around us. We, we see the travesty of sin and what it does in people's lives. And, and so there is that mourning. But uh, I also see it kind of, uh, I, I really want to emphasize too that, that losses in life, uh, those who have lost loved ones. I'm just an hour south of Oxford High School here in Michigan. And uh, I know I can say this to our listening audience because most people are aware of the school shooting that took place uh, now about a week and a half ago. And uh, there were LCMS students there in that school. And and from what I've heard uh, from our district president, uh, David Meyer, is that there is a real trauma there among many of many of these students. They're they're not going to be going back to school until at least February. And and to know and understand, and, and the impression was that they, that some of these kids just saw evil, evil and heard evil, a person who would just come and, and just shoot and fire away. And there's actually a real, in a sense, marvelous grace story because uh, I've been made aware that the All-State football player, Tate Meyer, who was among those who was killed, uh, was, a, was a solid, dedicated Christian. Um, I'm a University of Michigan graduate. Uh, our, our coach, Jim Harbaugh, had mentioned when they honored him and his family at one of their games that that this guy is the fastest kid in the school. He's the most athletic. He could have outrun anyone and, and gotten away, but he ran into the trouble and stood in front of a student was shot and killed. And so for these kids now who are mourning and thinking of this, they're going to say, here's a guy who did everything right for all accounts, just a great kid, a strong Christian, and now he's dead. And, and this is what Satan laughs, and he says, ha, ha, ha. see, this is, this is what's happening to you right now. And there is a mourning because, you know, we, we, we lament the loss of life. We lament these things. But yet as we do that, as we mourn, we have to remind ourselves that God will comfort us. You know, the world tells us uh, that, you know, we need political change. We don't need your thoughts or prayers, especially now, whenever there's a school shooting. Uh, and I don't want to get into any political argument here, but they'll, they'll say things like, we need political change. We don't need your prayers, as if your prayers do no good. But here, when we talk about the Lord comforting and providing forgiveness, healing, 
acknowledge that Tate Myers with Jesus now. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome all of these difficulties. And our children need to hear that message right now. They need to know as they mourn, because they, it is a very natural thing to mourn, to know for a certainty that Christ will comfort you. That's what those prayers are all about. They're not just heaping up phrases to the wind. This, this, this is real. And I want to touch more on that on the other side, because there is a future tense to this, which obviously brings a current reality of comfort that the Lord brings now, but also looking to the future um, comfort as well. But we need to take a break right now. We are studying okay. Matthew chapter 5 with Dr. Matthew Heisey, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 5 with Dr. Matthew Heisey, Executive Director of Lutheran Heritage Foundation in Macomb, Michigan. And Dr. Heisey, you spoke, and, and that's another reminder for you, our listeners, to continue to pray for those in Oxford, Michigan, to give thanks for the faith of this young man, um, also for, for God's grace throughout throughout everything, and the and the reality that we need to we need to grieve, we need to lament, and we move forward only by God's grace. And you spoke about this before, about the now and not yet. I can't think of a more mm -hmm. clear example of that, because this says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, which shows mm -hmm. us that that now and not yet. Can you explain that a little more and why that's important for something like in Oxford? Well, I, I, I think there, there's the knowledge. I mean, we're going to go a little further when we talk about the, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness, because there, there will be righteousness and, and there will be satisfaction. Ultimately, there will be an accounting for that which we have done. But I, I think of the comfort that comes that I, I know that God will wipe away every tear uh, of the believer uh, when we go to heaven there, that every tear will be wiped away. There, there is a comfort that he will provide to us. Uh, in the future will be made clear things that we can't understand, and, and he will wipe that tear away. Uh, so there is this in the present. It's kind of like the, the Advent message. It's the hope, the anticipation of the one to come. So we kind of long. We're, 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 we're like those, uh, those persecuted under the altar who say, you know, um, not, when, O oh Lord, will you come and, and you know, rest a little while longer? Uh, the comfort will come. Uh, it will be a greater comfort. And, and for those of us who mourn, we know the final answer. We know ultimately uh, 
the King of Kings will come and, and will will restore us, and He will He will bring healing. And and for the present, there is those prayers are so important because uh, inside the heart of a person who is healed, uh, knowing that Christ has Himself suffered on our behalf, He knows what it's like to suffer, and and He knows what we're going through. Um, I, I think to me that's that's a, just a wonderful comfort for now, but also for the future. And and when you're caught in the midst of all of this, it's probably difficult to hear, and it just needs to be repeated. I think again and again that there will be uh, a reckoning and an accounting as well. And that's and that's the message of the incarnation, the Word made flesh. Um, this this Advent in Christmas is that our Lord exactly. has gone through that pain himself and he and was victorious and therefore we know that we'll be comforted um, by him who understands so so yeah. uh, dr heisey I'm, I'm looking to go to verse five I just want to make sure anything else we have in verse four no that's good verse five blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth so uh, meek or sometimes translated as yeah. lowly it, it, right lowly. That, that one that one's something we got. We got to define a little bit. What? How would you define meek and lowly? Um, I would probably look at it more, and, and and I want to kind of put this all together. It's a willingness to suffer, rather than to inflict injury, but it's not necessarily a spinelessness. I think sometimes when we talk a person, you know, meek and lowly, we we kind of think of a person like a little. Uh, a reed t- twisting in the wind, knocked over. We 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 have these impressions somehow of of the meek being that very uh, mealy mouth kind of guy. And I think that's not because I think, I think Paul actually fits this definition of meek pretty well, willingness to suffer rather than inflict injury. And I mean, I think of him in Philippi with Silas when the great earthquake took place. I mean, could have just run out and taken, taken off. And and instead he says, no, because God has a greater purpose through this earthquake. There's a jailer in Philippi who obviously things are, 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 are resonating in his heart and soul uh, because he immediately asks, you know, Paul says, don't worry, don't worry. We're, we're all still here. What must I do to be saved? Uh, You know, he's confronted with mortality and what must I do to be saved? And Paul's meekness by not saying, hey, okay, I'm going to take off. I'm going to run away here. No, stay assure the jailer. We're all here. Everything's in order. Don't worry. And after, of course, you know, Philippi, we, we, we hear where he talks about, you know, you beat us and we're Roman citizens. So it's not a spinelessness in a sense, um, if, I'm, if I'm interpreting that correctly. But it is also a willingness to suffer wrong. Um, it's a willingness to turn the other cheek. Okay, yeah. And that connects so well with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as you say it that way, is that, you know, you've heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, turn the other cheek um, type of language, which would be that lowly, meek state that we have. It's a condition. I think very much so uh, seen as a condition, much like the poor in spirit. This is who we are. Um, and therefore, uh, well, we need divine intervention once again. Now, I want to I want to ask this question. It says, shall inherit the earth. What is what is what does that mean? How 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 would you describe that to somebody? That's that's really complex. 
I, you know, I, I, I struggle with that. I mean, obviously, our impression of inheriting the earth is uh, okay. They will have great wealth and great possessions, and uh, so that that's that's really really very difficult. I think the future one's easier. There's a new heavens and there's a new earth. Um, so you know, we kind of see okay, this this is coming, but now. Uh, all I would do is probably try to tie it into the peace that comes from the knowledge of Christ, the, the peace that I'm forgiven here. You know, I'm inheriting maybe a, a small portion, whatever God gives me. Uh, and, and we know, and Paul says this himself, he says, I've learned to be content uh, with what I have. I've learned to be content in poverty or wealth. Uh, it's this understanding of that I, maybe what I have, what he gives me, is what I need, because he doesn't give me more than what I need, and he doesn't give me less than what I need. He gives me what I need. Uh, so if that's a part of inherit the earth, that would be something I might say. But um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a really complicated <laughs> it is. phrase it right is. there. And that's why you know it's kind of that times where you'll you'll yell the the now and not yet, or you'll do the now yeah. not yet. You know, you say that not yet a little louder, and that's one of those cases here is. Well, we know that the new heaven and new earth will be ours on account of Christ. We know that. Mm -hmm. The part of how does that work now? Well, we don't really know. And we're going to, like you said, that hope and peace that we have of knowing that Christ has had the victory is is what we have, but not quite as loud as the not yet. That is still a wonderful I I don't think he's going to give us a couple of uh, Pacific Islands as as part of that inherit the earth. That's right. Yeah, we'll see what God has in store. So let's let's continue on in verse 6. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, here you mentioned this prior, and and mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's, it's another one of those uh, uh, I'd say standings: hunger and thirst for righteousness. How would you how would you teach that to somebody? Well, I think I'm, I'm kind of, uh, and, and Dr. Gibbs, once again, is very good in this, where we talk about, uh, you know, the poor in spirit will be those who mourn, and the meek will be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, it, maybe it's not something they feel as if they can impact in any quick way, but there is, when I, I think Christ is the center of your heart, there is a hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I mean, many of us understand righteous anger, the concept that sometimes you get angry when you see uh, a la- um, the unjust uh, succeeding, when you see those who steal and uh, those who uh, um, commit all sorts of crimes get away with it. it. It seems it's one of the things that my wife always brings up. Look at these people. They get away with all this stuff. And they said, well, they may get away with it for now. But, but in our hearts, we, we, we know it's wrong um, because we, we've been humbled to see we're sinners. And for those who, who kind of uh, will, will break laws wantonly uh, without any remorse whatsoever, I think it's natural for us to just thirst for righteousness. We want to see injustice rewarded. We want it now. Um, we want a righteousness in conformity to God's will. And this is where sometimes we can't really understand uh, why he does not punish at this moment. But once again, they shall be satisfied. Um, Justice will come. Righteousness will come. Uh, We're not to, as we read and Paul tells us in uh, Romans 12, we're not to avenge those who who, uh, perform some type of act against us, those who harm us, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. So, 
yes, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to see justice. And it's not a bad thing to work for it. So I would give that out to social justice warriors. It's not a bad thing to work for justice. But with an understanding of the world in which we live and that there is a God who sees everything and uh, he will avenge. Vengeance is his, not ours. And this kind of keeps us away from the concept of using violence to achieve. That's why I like this hunger and thirst for righteousness, not I am going to. Once again, it's not uh, calling for me to act upon this and and to do this, that uh, not only do I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'm going to bring it about. No, that's that's God's task. And he will do it in his time. And that's the thing, too. It it is very this is a very personal reality for each one of us that. I want to do better. You know, I want to be a better uh, uh, husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better son. Even, even at 42 years old, I want to do, I want to do better. And that's part of that thirsting for righteousness. And when you understand that that righteousness comes from the hands of our Lord, boy, that makes, it makes a big difference. But sometimes we might think that, well, I'm completely satisfied. I never will hunger for anything again because I have Christ. Well, no, that's just kind of that now, not yet dynamic that I've, I've found here as well, is that there, there will be a time we'll be satisfied and we pray, as you talked about with Paul, that I'm content. We pray for that contentment while also, well, I guess wanting to do better. That's one of the um, dynamics that I found in this text as well. Anything else you have for those uh, verses, Pastor? No, I think you've, you've covered it really well. All right, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. A wonderful word throughout Scripture that reminds us of our need. We say it in our Kyrie. We'll sing it in our Kyrie as well in our services. Lord, have mercy. And here he says, when you ask for that, um, uh, you know, you you will be blessed. So what do you, what do you have for us here? Yeah, this is this is where I, I think now we kind of get into a second portion here, where the fruits of the work that God has worked through us through his Holy Spirit is now then performed, is carried out here. But once again, it's he has shown us mercy initially. And and so uh, it's not as if we and ourselves have somehow decided and said, I think I'm going to be merciful to my neighbor today, or I'm going to be merciful to this person who has done that. But it is a, a fact that he has shown me mercy. I, I, I love the parable of the unmerciful student, uh, uh, a servant, because I think so often we see that where those who have been shown mercy, then can show mercy to others. They can forgive that. And, and, and God starts it. it. It all begins with him. Uh, but to the other one, the unmerciful uh, servant, obviously, it, uh, that person has, has forgotten the fact that he was shown mercy. And all of a sudden, he's not going to show it to the other person. So uh, once again, now we, we, we understand that, you know, he has done this for us. The Spirit works in our hearts and creates that understanding. I mean, we, we think differently. It doesn't mean we always do differently, as Paul says in Romans 7. I mean, we're, yeah, we know what's right. We know we should show mercy, and we don't always do that. And, and so we do fall there. But once again, I think there's a little bit of exhortation here in a sense that, that uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain that mercy. And uh, it, it's something that God has, has clearly given to us without any merit or worthiness in us itself. 
And that's I love how you pointed out that that parable because it is it is such a parable to read it and go, whoa, what a jerk! You know, he does it, he does this, he doesn't have mercy and all this, and then it's almost like that moment of of um, Nathan and David, like, well, you're that man, like, well, wait a second here, I didn't, I'm a merciful guy. <laughs> well, some of the the little Hebrew we always when we were learning Hebrew, Atahish, it's, you are the man. Look out, buddy. <laughs> So, so that is a that is a good reminder for us. Like you said, there's an exhortation there, um, but but also as you said so beautifully too, is that we receive this mercy, we receive it by the word, um, by the sacraments, um, by the forgiveness of sins, and from there the Lord helps us to be merciful. And it goes back to Matthew 25. When did I see you and clothe you? When did I see you and feed exactly. you? When did we do all yeah. those things? And Wow, what a blessing to know that the Lord is working through us. Although we are not the most merciful, He is always merciful with us. Anything else there, Pastor, before we move on? No, no. Actually, I think it just kind of ties into the next one there, too. Ah, Yes, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I can't help but think of Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God. Creating me a clean heart. And so going from, you know, pure in heart to then being pure in heart, you're shown mercy. Now, once again, this is not all of a sudden, how do I make my heart pure? What do I do here in a sense? It's... Uh, I, I like actually Professor Gibbs really unpacked this with the Old Testament and 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 looking at that phrase in Psalm 24:4 and 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 focusing on the fact it's the one who did not take to his soul a vain thing, and a vain thing is generally an idol in the Old Testament. So this purity in heart is not being an idolater, uh, because of course this is one of the great sins of Israel constantly is. Is, is seeking after other gods. And, and that's that purity in heart. I think we don't really understand that if we don't look back at the Old Testament, what it teaches us. And so as you look at pure in heart, let's kind of, let's try to make this as simple as possible. Pure in heart, because this could be something where we are like, I want to be pure, and then we make a mistake, and then all of a sudden I'm not pure anymore. When he mm-hmm. says pure in heart, what does he mean? What, what, how, would you, how would you unpack that for somebody who maybe is struggling with, I'm not sure if I'm pure in heart? I, th- I think the pure in heart here is, is, is truly knowing that my faith is in my Savior, and I do not have other gods. I, I like to use Luther here, where I talk about, you know, that which you hold fast in your heart, that's your God. That's where your treasure is. Uh, I might have had a little bit of a legalistic sermon in Moscow once when I did this, because we had, uh, you know, they they received so much support from outside churches in the States that... Uh, I kind of mentioned that I heard coins clink in the plate, but I noticed everybody had their cell phone up to date and uh, <laughs> probably one of those early mistakes when you, you make things just a little too legalistic. You know, I was a vicar. <laughs> I think I got graded down on that one. But the point was really more of, of what, as, as Luther said, what, what's, what is your God? What, what do you treasure? And, and that's what you hold fast in your heart is your God. And so when you have that faith and uh, desire to serve Christ, when, he, when you, know, he, you have recognized your condition, you're sinful and, and certainly need a Savior, and, and you'd say, okay, those other things fall away, I would sense that that would be more of a purity in heart where he holds uh, first place there in your heart as opposed to all those other things. And, of course, then we fall into the paradox of sometimes you won't do that. <laughs> Right, right, exactly right. And that's where it comes down to faith, a faith given by our Lord. Let's continue to verse 9. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Real quickly, I want to share this. In the state of yeah. Minnesota, at the headquarters um, in St. Paul, for the police of Minnesota, um, you walk in the doors, and I have not seen, I've seen pictures, and I have members who are police officers that say you walk in, and a big sign right above, I think, I don't know if it's engraved or what it is exactly, but it says, for the police officers in our state, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's how it starts, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating, first of all. But mm-hmm. but it, mm-hmm. but I think it it captures this. But obviously, that's Jesus wasn't saying. By the way, this is for the police officers in the 21st century. Just in case yeah. you're wondering, no, it, it's the people it's who get the Nobel that. Peace Prize for uh, right, brokering right. a peace deal here. And while right. of course uh, nobody wants warfare, and re- I would sense that re- refraining from warfare is not excluded here. Right. Uh, uh, once again, it's what is peace, and this is where we kind of get in the shalom erene, the the Greek with uh, a concept of more of cessation of hostilities and and the concept of military. But what underlies this peace is shalom, and a harmony, a wholeness, a completeness, a peace with God, and bringing that message of Christ to others. I think of the angels when they proclaim peace on earth. Well, they could have probably been saying to the Roman Empire, stop raging over all the peoples of of this empire that you have created. But they're pointing to Christ. And so they're pointing to the true peace, because you never really have peace without Christ. And and so peacemakers, I think, really too often uh, is is misunderstood maybe to a little extent here. Um, when we talk about peace on earth, I mean, Jesus says, I don't come to bring peace in Matthew 10, 34. I came to bring a sword. I mean, there's going to be conflict when you say that Christ is the only way. Um, but you speak the truth in love. And I, I think in that sense, you can be a peacemaker, but you point to Christ as the true peace. The peace that passes all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's that's the true peace. That's what angels proclaim. So it always kind of bothers me when I see the peace on earth thrown up and people are focusing on worldly conflict and not that peace within because we'd have no worldly conflict if everyone had the peace of Christ within. And this is where... When we hear Jesus, when we see Jesus uh, appear to his disciples after the resurrection, his first words were, peace be with you. And that's what he fills us with. And that's why um, the disciples, when they went out, they were the ones who were to bring peace to the places that they went, Matthew 10. Um, And and it's, once again, that merciful peace, too. We receive that peace from the Lord, and we extend that peace to our lives, clearly, not just for social justice purposes, but for the sake of knowing what our Lord has given to us, we give to others. Pastor, we have only about six minutes left in our time, so I want to read the rest of our verses, which is 10 through 12. And to, because a lot of those um, connect with one another and then wrap it around to get mm-hmm. our overall thoughts. Sure. So verses 10 through the end. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And here, here, yeah. Dr. Dr. Heisey, we have persecution. I know you've worked a little bit with that, with your work with uh, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. But yeah. here he speaks about it in a way that no one wants it, but he speaks like it's going to happen. So how would you break this down? It's going to happen, especially, too, if we look back at nine, if you are going to be the peacemaker, bringing the peace of Christ, 
that will come and you will be persecuted for righteousness. You'll be persecuted because of him. Righteousness sake is certainly because of Jesus. And Jesus, of course, tells us if they hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you too. And, and, and so this will come to you. We have uh, uh, just uh, Johanna, Bishop Johanna Poyle of the Finnish Mission Diocese, our new church partner, was in the States in Washington, D.C., meeting with some members of Congress. And then he did a little um, presentation at Fort Wayne Seminary uh, not too long ago, about a month ago. And uh, due to the fact that he will be coming up on trial in, on January 24th, and do pray for him, and Paivi uh, Rasanen, who is a... Uh, member of the Lutheran Church and also a member of Parliament, because they wrote a booklet in 2004, male and female, he created them. We actually published that in Finnish. And uh, retroactively in 2018, that now became hate speech. And so they will be going on trial for hate speech, uh, because they are proclaiming the message of Scripture. Uh, the teaching of, of marriage. And, and if you knew these two people, uh, they speak very humbly and quietly. They're not loud. They're not boisterous. They're not troublemakers. They are just proclaiming what the scriptures say. And persecution is coming. I mean, for us, maybe it's a kind of reviling or slander. Uh, but for them now, it's actually going to court. And it's very serious. And so we see that. And he, no bones about it, he doesn't say, well, you know, if, you, if you're not nice, you'll be persecuted. Well, if you're not friendly, you'll be persecuted, or you won't be persecuted, or kind of like a false hope. He says these things will happen, but then he says there'll be something greater than any, beyond any, there'll be a time you'll be comforted, as he says throughout here. There'll be a time that you will inherit the earth, that you will receive mercy, that you will be called sons of God. And what is he pointing us to in the midst of that persecution? He's, he's pointing us to the fact that ultimately, God, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they, they will receive that righteousness. They, maybe they will be executed uh, if it comes to that point. And I'm, I'm actually having a book published on that uh, just early next year on uh, the persecution and uh, martyrdom of, of uh, Lutherans in Stalin's Soviet Union in the 20s and 30s. And some survived, others became martyrs to the faith. And uh, uh, those promises were real. When you read some of the accounts of uh, a pastor like Kirk Mus, who uh, uh, underwent this persecution, he said, well, when they talk about their five-year plans and how they are going to uh, destroy all churches and deface everything and it will disappear from the earth, uh, God is creating temples, these cathedrals in the hearts of his people. And, and many of those Confirmation students of his remembered those words in the 90s when uh, the church has opened back up again. It's, it's a remarkable story. Uh, he did not live to see that, but he has, of course, seen God. He is with the Lord in heaven. And uh, knowing that and understanding that the gates of hell are not going to destroy the church ultimately, um, because God's promises are, are sure, there, there is going to be a great reward for those who have undergone this and, and have received the, the crown of life. And this is why I love how Jesus ends, and especially this week where we lit the, the rose candle, the pink candle, yeah. the joy candle. Mm -hmm. Rejoice and be glad, for the reward is great in heaven, reminding us of rewards that are different than the world, but they show us what the heavenly kingdom will be. Pastor, we have about a minute left of our time. 
How would you summarize uh, the Beatitudes and why they're important for us today? Well, I would once again kind of focus on the fact that we're we're not being told, we're not being given ethical demands or even primarily exhortations. Um, Jesus is telling us that recognizing who we are and following him because he gives us all that we need. Life is hard. And, and we will go through persecution, we will go through difficulties, we will mourn, we will be poor in spirit, but there is indeed a greater future. And it's come to us now in the peace that only Christ can bring to our hearts, but it will come in a greater manner uh, when Jesus returns again. And uh, so knowing that comfort, knowing that we know the end of the story, we don't know all the details getting to the end, but we know the end of the story here. There, there is a peace, I think, that comes from following Christ and a knowledge that maybe the rest of the world won't acknowledge it. But one day, every knee will bow, every knee on earth, under the earth and heaven, every knee will bow before Jesus. And we know that that's coming. Rejoice and be glad. Dr. Matthew Heisey, Executive Director of Lutheran Heritage Foundation in Macomb, Michigan, helping us to be strengthened by God's Word in Matthew ch chapter 5. Dr. Heisey, it's, it's been a joy, and thank you for bringing his gifts. Thanks so much, Brady. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A blessed Advent to all of you. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.